Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from November 21st, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder and Luke Hedegger teach from Galatians 6 and show us how the plumb line of the gospel prepares us for our road. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. This is Luke. Uh, and our hope, we just want to make space for people to know and love God. And so that was amazing. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that was just, there's familiarity to these songs, but just breathing new life into it. We hope that you got to experience what I experienced just now. It's beautiful. Uh, but Luke is up here today joining me because it, here's, here's just a reality. is like, you know, there's a lot of community that happens behind the scenes. All right, it takes a lot to get this thing going. And a lot of folks don't get to see that community. And so we want to model community up here, interdependence. And so we, we were studying together and we said, hey, let's just wrap up the book of Galatians together. So we're going to be up here trying this. It's new. We don't know how it's going to go. So just thanks for your mercy ahead of time. All right. Um, but Luke and I are really different when it comes to the holidays. So just trigger warning. All right. There's an old folk proverb that goes like this. You don't prepare the road for the child. You prepare the child for the road. You don't prepare the road for the child. You prepare the child for the road. I heard this earlier this week, and my first kind of like experience of it was I remember going like, geez, that feels sort of like a life's tough kid. Get a helmet, right? The road's windy, here's a helmet, you're welcome, right? And it's just like, man. But the more I kind of thought about it, the more I meditated on it, I think there's actually a lot of wisdom in this proverb. I think there's a lot of wisdom. I think the danger, though, is that some of that wisdom bumps up against some of my sensibilities, right? This morning, I woke up early, and I sneaked into my kid's bedroom. I just watched them sleep, right? And it's beautiful, not creepy, like, right? It's beautiful, all right? Just like, they're not mad at me. I'm just imagining, oh, they're probably just dreaming, man, what a great dad I have, right? And there's this innocence, right? And I just thought about the road, right? Uh, what's the road I would love for my kids? I would love a road where they're really only put into contact with life-giving people. Now, I would love a road where they get into their first choice college, and then they get a career that affords them all the money they want and the respect of their peers, and they can retire and just live the life they want, right? I would love, I would love a road for my kids with a little suffering, you know, just enough to not make them too hard or too soft, but just a little bit of suffering, not too much, right? I want to control the road. And this, this, I think the wisdom of this proverb, why it butts up against my sensibilities, is I think the wisdom here is the road's unpredictable, the road has twists and turns that you can be preparing for, and then we just don't know, right? Like, you can refinance your house, and then the economy tanks, right? You can be, like, thriving in your career. You have the respect of your peers, and then you're a stay-at-home parent experiencing obscurity. You know, you can just kind of just assume, okay, hey, no one cares about my work. Mom's the only person reading what I'm writing. I'm just going to die in obscurity. And then that website emails, they're interested in publishing some of your work, right? The road has twists and turns. You've got your retirement path planned out. You know, you're meeting with your financial advisor. You have a clear path forward. Cancer diagnosis. There are turns and bumps in 
the road. And we can't prepare for those. We, we can't prepare for those by, by smoothing out the road as much as we try. The road is unpredictable. And so we're wrapping up Galatians today, and the Apostle Paul, he's sending us out on the road with the Greco-Roman version of an all-caps message. He starts our passage saying, look at what big letters I'm writing you with. It's all caps. And he's sending us out. He's trying to prepare us for this unpredictable road. Now, do we have anything we can learn from a guy 2,000 years ago, we don't know, writing a letter to people we also don't know? What can that teach us about the road? Paul, I think, I want to be curious about this, I think Paul actually might be a, a, a worthy road companion for us. He knows what it's like to give your heart away to people and then have them just turn their back on you. And he knows what it's like to watch a community be completely transformed. Paul has experience on this road, and he's trying to share that experience with us. So Luke and I were studying this passage together, and Luke came up with this illustration. He's like, man, I think what's happening in this passage is Paul's trying to give us a plumb line. And I was like, yeah. What? What's a plumb line? So Luke used to like build his own houses for fun, and he's a man of the woods, right? He just is very handy. And you know me, I'm handy. And so, uh, Luke, what is a plumb line, and why, why, is it, why does it matter? Yeah, so first of all, before I get emails and phone calls asking me to come and help you build your house, Luke I... Luke at compassefc.com. Right, yeah. So my position, I was a professional gopher. Like, do you guys know what that means? Like, yes, yeah, so you guys know what that means. Some, for those of you who are like, professional gopher, what's that mean? It means, like, I, I, I went for things, you know? If they need things, I go for it, right? And, and so I was, I was low man on the totem pole. This was when um, I, I, we had just graduated from Bible college, and to my chagrin and surprise, nobody called me up asking me to be their pastor at 22 years old. Can you believe the audacity of some churches? I mean, not this church, but some churches, right? If the I had known you at 22 years old. Right. But I was like six. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway. That was yeah, cheap. Some that of was you cheap. Thinks, Sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so as we graduated... Um, we moved, we moved back to Kirksville, Missouri. I'm from Kirksville. My wife's from Texas. We moved to Kirksville, Missouri. And I started working with my uncle doing construction and carpentry. And again, low man on the totem pole, um, but learning a lot. And, and one of the things he did a lot was we would go into a place and we would remodel. Um, like I, I remember this one time specifically when we're talking about plumb line, we were remodeling a kitchen. And um, this kitchen, the problem with remodeling, if you've ever done this before, especially an older house, nothing is straight, nothing square. Some of you are, yes, I've been there, right? I've been there. So, and, and primarily we were trying, we had just torn out a bunch of stuff and we were trying to put in cabinets. And for cabinets, they have to be square, right? Because if cabinets aren't square, then you have problems. The drawers don't stay shut. All, you just, it's, not, it's not good. Um, and so we couldn't, like the floors were sloping, the walls, just nothing was square. And so my uncle said, why don't you run out to the van, again, professional gopher, why don't you run out to the van, get the plumb line. And for those of you who are like, I don't know what that is, like Craig, uh, this is a plumb line, right? And I think at the time he said plumb bob. I don't know if that's a Missouri thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, how many of you have used a plumb line before? 
Okay, lots of you. At first service, there were more women that used plumb lines than men, which I, I don't know why I was surprised by that. Shame on me. I'm working on that. But anyway. I thought a plumb line was fruit. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I run out to the van. I get this plumb line. And what happens, and here's a picture. There's actually a picture of a guy using a plumb line. What, what a plumb line does is in a room where there is nothing that you can, that you can base anything off of, there's nothing straight, there's nothing, uh, the, nothing lines up, this gives you a new orientation, right? This gives you a new, a new place, a new thing that says, okay, here's where our straight line is because, because everything else in this room, we can't, we can't build off of. And so this gives us something that says, okay, this is a new orientation, this is something, I mean, the, the little weight at the bottom, it uses gravity. I mean, these are like ancient tools. It uses gravity to give you something that you can build off of that is more than just the in, inconsistencies of your surroundings, hmm. right? And so, so we began to, to build off of this. And, and the, the reality is, is that we all look for plumb lines on an almost consistent basis, the reality is, is there are multi-million dollar industries that are, that are, I mean, they're built around this idea that we are all looking for new orientations to base our life off of. I remember when I was growing up, again, growing up in small town Missouri, the orientation, the plumb line so often given to young men is sports. And, and especially growing up in a small school, we had three sports, baseball, basketball, track. Okay? So I had a very limited, uh, limited amount of, of things that it's like, okay, maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I can be this and I'll be okay. Maybe I can orient my life. And for somebody who didn't grow until they got to college, that was really unhelpful. Those were unhelpful plumb lines. Right, and yet the the reality—it's not just for teenagers. I um, I was talking to Craig this past week, um, and my my son and I were actually talking about this last night. Do you guys know? And this might be an odd question for church on a Sunday morning, but do you guys know who? Uh, I think it's Life Magazine. People, people, People Magazine. Do you know who they voted as the sexiest man alive? Paul Rudd. I don't know why that's surprising. I, yeah, Craig, Craig's like, he's, he's a, a beautiful, beautiful man. man. He's a beautiful man. He's got a Kansas Craig, City Midwest yeah. charm. I'm not even from here. And I'm like, yeah, that totally makes <laughs> Craig sense. Craig told me the other day, if I looked like Paul Rudd, I'd be a happy man. Yeah. The okay. dude hasn't aged. Watch the movie from like the 80s. and Watch Clueless and then watch him in Ant-Man. Right. Same human. No I brainer. Not, I don't know why that disorients I'm you. not saying Paul Rudd is uggo, okay? Not saying that. But if on my list of sexiest men alive, which I don't know why I say that. I don't have a list. I don't have a running list. <laughs> but if somebody, if somebody asked me to make a list, Paul Rudd would not be at the top. He's a great actor, funny, you know. He's not but, a great actor. Well, I like him. I, I like Ant-Man. We watched Ghostbusters last night. He's funny. All right. So, so but the, here's the thing. Here's the reality. If I were to try and base my life and say, okay, well, what does it look like to be sexy? What's it look like to, to but nobody asked me either. Like who, I'll ask but, you. But anyway, but, but if I were basing my life off of what does People Magazine say about sexiness, then, then I would always be running after a carrot at the end of a stick, right? I mean, it is constantly changing. It, the, the plumb lines, as we look around us, it's like me back in that kitchen, and everything is changing, everything is warped, and, everything, and, and what Paul is doing for us is he saying, here, here, as the road ahead, we don't know what's going to happen. 
There are twists and turns. There are blind hills. There, there are all these different things. We don't know what's going to happen. And so what we need to do as we, as we set out on this journey of life is we need to align ourselves with the correct thing. All right, here's, here's the correct plumb line. Yeah, look, we, people are talking about all the time, the world's constantly changing. It's constantly changing at a rate it's almost impossible to keep up with. So we're all searching for this thing, like, what's that constant? What can I just hang everything on, right? Health, right? Mm. Ugh. All right, finances. If I just can save enough. Oh, maybe it's just this relationship, right? The respect of a spouse, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's my, how my colleagues esteem me and see me and respect me. I want to be seen. And, and what Paul's doing, remember, as he's preparing us for the road, he's not trying to say, hey, let me give you false hope and smooth out the road. He's saying, hey, the, the, the road is hard. Life is hard, full stop. The hope, though, the Christian message is not, hey, we can take your, your pain, your suffering, the turns in your road, and we can promise you they're gone. No, that's, that's not Christianity. If, if somebody tells you that, if someone, if someone says, hey, the problem of evil, here's an easy answer for that. I mean, that you just have an invitation, just walk away, right? It's a dangerous person, right? But the hope of Christianity says, can there be meaning in our suffering? Can this suffering be redeemed? Can our suffering be given new hope, new meaning, and then can that reorient us for this road? And the word for that, the plumb line that Paul gives us is bizarre. We take for granted how bizarre it is, all right? It's the cross, a symbol of suffering and death becomes our plumb line. It's like, no, thank you! All right, I ah, right? That's, no, 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 we're trying to avoid that, right? We want a good road, and that's not bad. Like, you're not, there's nothing, you are human if you want a good road. But the message of Christianity says, hey, there's twists and turns in the road, and God experienced suffering with us. That's what the cross is. And that changes how we suffer in three ways. We're going to talk about that. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. How does the cross bring new meaning to our suffering? How does the cross help us navigate this road? Galatians 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are these really thick, large print, maroon seatback Bibles. And it's page 1774. All right, that's where we're going to be. Uh, that's 1774. And if you would, would you please stand with me out of reverence for God's Word? All right, I'm going to read this for us. Again, Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. 
But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And we say around here, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I just before we pray, we're going to ask for God's help. But I don't have time to mention this in the sermon. It's too good to just not say. If you notice, at the beginning of Paul's letter, it says grace to you. And then Luke just read it. Do you know how it ends? It says grace be with you. Something happened. Grace to you. Grace with you. The Bible, we believe, is how we experience grace. All right, so I'm just going to pray that that would be our experience this morning. That for those of us who are struggling with our road, that we would experience grace for the journey. All right? Will you ask for God's help with me? Father, God, we want to know you. We want to experience you. And God, there is just, there's a wide range of experiences in this room. God, some of us come in here with heavy burdens. Some of us have been walking with those burdens alone. Father, I pray that this morning we would lighten our load because we see what Jesus does on the cross that we would meet this friend of sinners and that that would change everything. God, I pray your spirit would move in this place and do a new thing. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, if it's true that the cross gives us a new plumb line, if it's true that the cross changes the way we see our road, it doesn't change the road, it doesn't minimize the twists and the turns, the sufferings or the pain, but it changes us. Remember, we're not trying to prepare the road for us. We're trying to be prepared for the road. If that really happens, how? Well, we got this idea about a plumb line from Galatians 6.16. Look at that again. It says this. And as for the all who walk by this rule, that word for rule is just that. It means like, hey, here's, the, here's, here's that plumb line. All right, and if you walk by, if you, if you bring yourself into conformity with that plumb line, if you move into greater awareness of that plumb line, what do you experience? Peace and mercy. Wouldn't it be lovely to experience peace? Wouldn't it be great to be a person of mercy? Paul's saying, hey, the invitation is if you have this plumb line, I can't promise, make any promises about your road. But I can say it changes us. It prepares us for the road. And what's, it, what's he saying? As all who walk by this rule. What rule? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boasting in the cross. Remember, this is written... First century Rome, all right? We, there's whole industries, jewelry industries, crosses, they're so cool, and it's like really morbid, right? It's like putting like a lethal injection needle around your neck as jewelry, right? It's like, cool, right? This was a symbol of shame and pain. This was a symbol of loss. Paul's now saying, I can boast in that, all right? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm sitting there back there going, yeah, Paul, yeah, 
yeah, how? What? Do I have to? Do I have to go on this road with you? Well, before we talk about how we boast in the cross, what it means to boast in the cross, we need to talk about the three different types of suffering. All right? This is, there's, there's two with one in the middle, okay? But look at, this is exactly the context of this message, okay? Look back with me a couple of verses earlier. Uh, what Paul, he's talking about the Judaizers. Remember, they came, and they were those super fun religious people. You got to do this, you got to do that, right? If you want God to love you, you got to do more stuff, right? And Paul's saying this, the reason that they were doing that, the reason they were trying to compel you to be circumcised, which was the entry of like, hey, I'm going to keep Torah, and that was like the entry-level thing to do. Hey, get circumcised. The reason they're compelling you to do that, look with me in verse 12, is because they want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He goes on to say, not even those who are circumcised keep this law. They want you to be circumcised that they may what? Boast in your circumcision in the flesh. Here's what's happening. They're trying to avoid being persecuted. They're trying to avoid suffering. All right, did it work? They're saying the road is hard. Hey, I've got status in this community. There's a new thing. Jesus of Nazareth entered the world. That's not going well. Some people don't get it. There's persecution. And they're like, let's adjust the message so I can avoid suffering, so I can keep status, so I can stay popular. Did it work? No, they created more suffering for other people, this church in Galatia. There's three types of suffering we have to talk about, all right? There's suffering number one, we'll say, all right? Where just bad things happen to you, all right? You didn't do anything wrong. You're minding your own business, and then a rumor starts about you. What? You know, you're just going throughout your day, you get cancer. That's suffering, and you didn't do anything wrong. That's one type of suffering. All right, I didn't do anything wrong, but my road is hard. That's a confusing thing. How does the cross provide hope for those of us who suffer when we haven't done anything wrong? All right, that's one thing we need to land on. The other type of suffering, though, is when we're being a jerk, right? Where we're sinning, where we're stepping outside of, like, what's just, what's right, and there's natural consequences for that. All right. I, I was reading a blog earlier this week about a disgraced uh, megachurch pastor. I was reading one of his sermons. This is a real thing he said, right? He said this, I always have to be at a church that's constantly growing. All right. It has to keep growing. There have to be new numbers. I have to extend my influence and I have to plant churches that grow and extend their influence. And if I'm not, yikes, I don't know what would happen. But then he said this, right? He said, this is a real thing, paraphrase of what he said. He said, that's probably an idol, which is like church speak for something I'm getting my security from other than God. That's probably an idol. I sure hope, uh, by God's grace, I don't ever have to find out what happens if I lose the growth. Right? All right. I, let me just tell you, that person has suffering in their life. Those are consequences of decisions they made. So there's, there's one suffering that I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm suffering. There's another suffering, or there's turns in my road that are the result of decisions I made. But then there's this, like, middle area of suffering. And this is when bad things happen to me that I didn't do anything wrong with, too. To, I don't deserve this. I'm walking through this hard thing, and this just happened to me, all right? Don't deserve the suffering, but then my response, oof, right? The one thing I am responsible for, my response. Those are the three types of suffering. How is the cross a plumb line? How is it good news for those three ways we can suffer? 
Yeah, and, and as we think about that, as we think about those three different ways of suffering, maybe you can, maybe you can feel like, oh, I've been there. You know, I, maybe, maybe you can see where you're putting yourself. Maybe, um, maybe that middle spot, um, as Craig was saying earlier, you've experienced things in your response. Maybe, maybe you didn't, ah, you know, I'm going to, you tear me down, I'm going to tear you down. Maybe that wasn't your response, which that can be its own kind of suffering. But maybe your response was, okay, I'm just going to shut myself off from this. I, I, you can't hurt me anymore. I'm, I'm moving away from you. There, there are some of us, um, as Craig said earlier, there's, I mean, a lot of us are going to be sitting around the table with family here in just a few days, right? Eating copious amounts of food, hopefully. Um, and and there, there are probably going to be situations that you are entering into with people who you have, you've shut your heart off to. And that wasn't because you've done anything, but it's suffering that you're entering into. And, and I think that what, what we experience, what the, what the uh, Judaizers are saying, is that we want to avoid all of these different things. We, we, we want to control the road ahead. We want to do as much as we can. Because as they look at Paul, I mean, Paul in, in Philippians, he talks about what the cross meant for him. Right? That he talks about how he, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a Jew of Jews, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He's saying, here's my pedigree, here's all the things that I did, and yet I count it all as what? Rubbish. It's all loss. It's, I, I, I don't look at those things anymore because I've experienced a new plumb line. Here's a new thing. And they're saying, yeah, we're good. We, we want to try and smooth out the road ahead. And at times, we can think of this, and it's like, well, I don't know what suffering looks like. For I'm not in a, in a different country where it's really hard. And yet, we're still experiencing suffering. And, and again, what the Judaizers did was they said, okay, instead of having the cross as our plumb line, because that's just too much, we're going we're gonna to see how many people we can get on our bandwagon, and that's going to be our plumb line. If we can get enough people to like our likes, if we can get enough people to do what we say, if we can get enough people to, to kind of rally around us, then we must be okay. And, and, and now that's what we're going for. And yet Paul says that doesn't even work for them. Those who are circumcised, they're not even keeping the law. And, and so the reality is, as we, as we think about this, Paul's saying, look, there is something different. When, when we look at the cross, not as a, as a, a thing to avoid because of what it might become, because of we have our future plans and this is how we want things to be. And if I accept Jesus, if I surrender myself to him, it might mean something different. Instead, what Paul says is, no, the cross becomes a point of boasting because it flips everything on its head. And now there's purpose even in the suffering, right? Even when my road takes a hard left turn, even when, even when health goes out the window, even when my finances, even when all of these different things, now my, my, my suffering has a purpose, and it's not just, oh, I, I worship a vengeful God who's just really mean, and he's just waiting for me to have fun so he can squash it, which is what so many people think. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's even what we can think at times. But we serve a God who's saying, no, that through the cross, there's purpose in our suffering. And Paul says, that's the only thing that we are to boast about. That is our plumb line as we walk through this life. Do you remember what you said to me, I don't know, two weeks ago? You, you're telling me about a person who was trying to bury anger. They had these negative emotions of anger. They're trying to bury it. And remember what you said that did to their joy? Yeah. So here's where I, I'm just going to tee you up. Here's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, I don't like these negative feelings. I don't like this suffering. Let's bury it. 
and that will make my life more joyful. Right, right. Well, and so I have to, I have to confess, Craig, um, this is not new to you, but I have an incredible wife who is extremely brilliant, and I get a lot of my information from her, and she's just like, did you know this? I'm like, I didn't know that at all. And she's like, well, yeah, uh, she's, she's awesome. And she told me one time that, that the way our emotions, the way our experiences work is, is if we say, well, I'm going to avoid these different things. I'm going to shut myself off. I'm going to, I'm going to push away. Oh, I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel these things. I'm going to push that down. What happens is our joy is connected. We as people, as individuals, we are created in such a way that we are meant to experience, as Jesus did, we are meant to experience life in its fullness, the ups and downs, the curves, the hard lefts and the hard rights. And when we try and avoid the hard things, we actually avoid, all, avoid the, the good things, the happy things, our joy. It's like, it's like they're all connected. I'm trying to think of an illustration that, you, you know, when a, you, you guys ever played with one of those toys that it's like a, a guy on a stand and you push the bottom and it like falls over? Have you got, like, they're the spring no. guys, no? What is that? What? Well, come on, you, some of you, yeah, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, there's these little guys that, that stand there. And like the inflatable you, gas? No, 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 <laughs> no. You, pu- you push, the, they're, they're held together by string, and there's a spring on the bottom. You push the bottom, and it just kind of crumples. You let it go, and it pops back up. What a cool toy. Yeah, well, it's, it's not that cool. But, but see, that's what our emotions are like. We push one thing down, and we can't just say, well, I'm going to avoid being angry. Because what happens is they're all connected, right? And so yeah. we all fall. And so that's, that's yeah. No, that's, yeah, that reminds me. So I, had a, I met with some pastors last week. I had a pastor friend telling me uh, he was preaching at his church, and he's in a tough area, and they don't like him, which I, I like him. So I'm like, yeah, I like you. Uh, but he was preaching, and can you imagine someone just stands up and starts yelling at him mid-message, and I'm like, what did you do, right? That's, I mean, I'm, all, I'm like trying to, you know, write down a game plan if that happens, right? And he said, oh, what I did was I just took my heart and went, click, you're not hurting me anymore. And he said he was talking with a, a spiritual counselor, and they were like, man, you're sharing really hard stories about any emotion. Oh, that, that might be related to a decision I made. And, and for some of us, that's how we do Thanksgiving, Right, we get around the table and you're like, you people are not hurting me. I'm here, but I'm on a mind-wandering extravaganza. You won't hurt me. I'm going to let you see. I'm going to let you see what I want you to see, but you're not going to hurt me. And, and that is something we have to figure out. How does, the cross, how does the cross bring good news to those people? But the beautiful thing, just like we're not alone, what we're trying to model by doing this together is that as we prepare for the road, this journey, Paul is assuming, he's making an assumption that we're not doing this alone. That's the whole idea of boasting, right? He's saying, I am boasting. I am declaring. I am publicly making my glory. I am saying, this is awesome. You don't do that by yourself. I mean, you can. It's awkward, right? But he is trying to make something known. And what I think he's trying to do is tell all of us, hey, you're headed out on this road. We don't know what's on the road, but here's what I can tell you. You're not alone. People who experience union with Christ... You're not alone. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. We're not alone on a real level. And look around the room. There's lots of people with union with Jesus in this room, and they're on the road with you. So we want to let some people boast today, people who are just going to say, hey, God showed up, and God's done some things these past few months in my life, and they're just going to boast in Jesus. So we're going to, we're going to see if this works. Here we go.
What was I gonna say? Take lower pictures of me and higher pictures of Craig so that my stature looks high. Really? Like Tom Cruise? <laughs> well, Craig's not gonna be on it. I'm not gonna this. No. Good morning. My name is Sharon, and I have been attending Compass Church for around 40 years. I'm Isaac Van Noren. The series has just continued to remind me of the significance of God's love and its overwhelming grace and how we're called to rest in that love. You know, the section in Galatians that, you know, that tells us, talks about us being new creatures in Christ um, is very reminiscent of my conversion because, uh, I mean, and that was more than a few years ago. But that became so very real to me that I'm a new creation and old things have passed away. I'm sure that most of you have found um, that Galatians was very rich personally and um, impactful in your life as I have. And <clears throat> I want to thank Pastor Craig and Luke for sharing the word with us and also for uh, helping us to understand the sometimes very complicated uh, teachings of the great Apostle Paul. I've continued to learn that God doesn't love me more based on how much I do my quiet time. And that's still something that I need to be reminded of. And it's really kind of deeply ingrained in me, this, this false idea. And so I've been continuing to realize the true nature of God's love. You know, Rod Casey once said that uh, it's really good to get around new Christians or people who are pursuing Christ because you'll see God working in their lives yeah. and yeah. I've, I've seen that which has been really cool. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The law and works could not save me but Christ in Christ alone did. Galatians also has showed me that some of the benefits and the blessings of that relationship with Christ. And like, um, since I tend to be kind of hard on myself, as many of us do, um, I decided to make a list of some of those things and um, so that I can meditate on that when uh, Satan whispers his lies in my ears and um, life gets hard. And so I would like to share them with you in the hope that um, as you see how God sees you, you will be encouraged as well. And you said a couple of times, I mean, you repeated this line. So I mean, you said some other guy's name who may have said it first, but you said enough times, I'm sure it, it came from you about, we lost relationship and we lost rest. Mm. You know? So um, that was profound, the thinking about that, that. The relationship part, well, yeah, you, oh yeah, yeah, we lost relationship with God in the fall, but rest, we lost rest. Mm. And then it tied back, right, to all those references about, in Scripture, about finding our rest or receiving rest, coming to a place of rest, all those things. The first one is that God sees me through the lens of Christ. He sees me as holy and perfect and righteous. And I have the peace and joy of a right, right relationship with God because of what? Christ has done for me. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Father and Son have made their home with me. I am 
a child of promise. I'm God's treasured possession. He loves me, he delights in me, and he has given me all that I need to live my life for him. Now, you know, the, the refresher, the reminders, as I, as I go through things, it's like, oh no, just wait. What's motivating that? Why am I moving in that direction? Am I spending, am I focused enough on God, on, on what Jesus would have me do? Or am I inventing my own urgency? Okay, I love it. Thank is you. That, is, that, is that good? We're not on the road alone. People who have union with Jesus also have union with people who have union with Jesus. Remember, our analogy throughout the sermon series is like a tree, right? And just like there's a life-giving energy flowing through that tree and branches, when they get grafted in, experience that life-giving energy, the other branches experience that too. And when we don't challenge ourselves, when we don't question our inner narrative, we just assume, I'm in it alone. But the cross tells us you're not alone. The cross tells us you're not alone. So how is the cross good news for those three sufferers? For the person who they were just, they had their heart set on going to Tufts University, but instead they have to settle for their third school choice, Mizzou. All right? How is the gospel good news to those of us who are suffering? For people who, they're just walking through life and they get that cancer diagnosis. How's the cross good news? How's the cross good news for, the, for those of us who we, just things happen to us and we didn't respond well? And how's the cross good news for those of us who, maybe we've been being jerks and there's some consequences that are coming. How's the cross good news for all of us? Well, uh, what we need to first recognize before we unpack this good news is what uh, the philosopher uh, Nicholas Taleb talks about, about anti-fragility. Here's what you need to know about your union with Christ. It is not fragile, okay? Your union with Christ, you being connected to that tree is not fragile. So when we suffer, the union we have with Jesus doesn't go away. When there are curves in the road, when there are bumps in the road, it's not because God is mad at you. It's not like, well, geez, God's doing this to me. He's doing this to punish me. No, our union with Christ is not fragile. When we don't respond how we ought to, when we know better, but we just keep getting caught up and just, ah, right, I'm going to shut off, or ah, I'm going to lash out, right? It's not fragile. And even when we intentionally mess up, even when we step outside, even when we behave badly, our union with Christ is not fragile. Wind and fire can have two different results, all right? So if you live your life like a candle in the wind, all right? Wind is, a, is bad, right? All right? That's fragile, all right? But union with Christ isn't a candle, okay? It's a forest fire, and wind can really cultivate and make that fire grow. Suffering helps us move into a deeper experience of our union with Christ, and I wish there was another way. It's painful. It's hard, but you get to pick your pain, do you want the pain of trying to avoid suffering or do you want to be present to what Jesus is doing and how he's redeeming our suffering? I wish there were another way. I do. All right? But the good news, the good news, look with me at verse 
16. Look with me at verse 16. For all who walk by this rule, for all who see that the cross is a new plumb line. All right, what do we get to experience? Peace and mercy. Peace and mercy for those of us who are working to bring our lives in conformity to this plumb line. So for this mega church pastor who scandalized himself and said, by God's grace, I'll never have to be at a church where the numbers decline. Perhaps a reframing of that is actually it might be by God's grace that you have to be at a church where the numbers decline so you can learn the emptiness of what you hung your hope on. And then at our worst, we meet Jesus. But beyond that even, the cross is good news for those of us who've made mistakes because it's the new F word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. The cross spells forgiveness for us. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Now he's being persecuted for the church because he experienced the forgiveness of the cross. Mercy. The cross is good news for those who suffer our consequences because it means mercy. Our identity is not in our mistakes. Our identity is that we're united to Jesus. And, and that is not fragile. If you could mess it up, you would have by now. Our union with Jesus isn't fragile. And for those of us who experience suffering and then we don't react well, there's peace and mercy. It's like, yeah, of course I didn't react well. I'm learning. We can, we can be people of grace who experience that mercy in our lives. And look, this is really important that you hear me say this. For those who are suffering because life is just coming at you and your road is windy, please hear me say, this is preparation for the road. This is not to say to someone on the road, oh, you're suffering, don't worry about it. God suffered too. Not helpful, not Christ-like, don't do it. But as we prepare ourselves for suffering, we can say, hey, I don't know what's coming down the road, Here's what I do know. Jesus went first. He suffered. The gospel says, in my place, condemned, he stood. He took on death. And he was able to bring new meaning for that. So as I'm stepping out onto my road and I don't know what's there, I can have hope that whatever hard things are ahead of me, they can experience redemption. And I can experience redemption. Look, for those of us who happen to be married, on day one of your marriage, are you married? Yes. Thank you. On, day, on year 60, all right, there's a couple in our church that's been married 68 years. On year 68, are you married? Are you the same amounts of married? Yes. But you move into a deeper experience and a deeper awareness. Year 68. Suffering moves us closer to Jesus because he is the suffering servant. And in that, as we, as we read this passage, and, and even as we hear Craig say that our union with Christ is not fragile, like I, I want, I'm, can, can we just, our union with Christ is not fragile. 
Yeah, you guys, we, we need to understand that. We need to adopt that. We need to see that even in this. And I think oftentimes what happens, though, is that as especially, I mean, maybe you've been here as, as new believers, especially, and as old believers, we all experience this, I guess. Um, I was listening to a John Mark Comer um, a message. He's a pastor in Portland, and he was talking about how often people will ask him, and I've had this question before, too, well, how close can I get? How close can I get? How much can I do? How close can I get to, to the edge of um, sexual impurity in my relationship? Well, how, how much is too much? How far is too far? Where's the boundary? How, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other examples. Uh, in first service, I was talking about this. And, and at times, those of us who are older can be like, yeah, those young people, <laughs> they're just raging hormones. And we just need to, you know put tight boundaries on them. And yet the reality is I had somebody come up to me and she, and she said, you know, older Christians struggle too. And she said the thing that, that uh, some of us struggle with as we get older is how much work can I get done because I'm always chasing beauty. How much, uh, you know, the, the culture says that, that I need to look this way. Well, how, how much? How close? Because, because I'm starting to get wrinkles around my eyes. So how, how much can I do? Because, so here's the thing. John Mark Comer said in this, in this message, he said, when we ask that question, we're looking at the wrong plumb line. Because the, the, the question isn't how close can I get? The question is, who is God making me into? Right, that union with Christ, that, that the fact that Paul says circumcision or uncircumcision, none of it matters. What matters is what? New creation. What matters is the fact that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not how well you can do. It's not how much you can perform. It's not any of these other plumb lines that are out there, but it is Christ and him crucified because he has taken our place. Amen? And so when, when, we are, when we are tempted to follow beauty, when we are tempted to follow and see how close we can get to that line, the answer that we have to ask ourselves is we say, okay, wait a second, self. Okay, what is the plumb line that I am orienting myself to? And if it's not Christ, the reality is, is that it will always be changing and there is no peace and mercy in ever-changing plumb lines. Amen? So where do we go from here? What's the road look like? How do we take that first step? What's that line from, you read more than me. What's that line from Lord of the Rings? It's a dangerous thing, Frodo. Stepping out your front door. There we go. Thank you. Um, so what's our first step? How do we do that? Well, again, I have no idea what's coming down the road. I, I don't know. All right. But here's some things we do know. Christmas is right around the corner. Luke and I were talking about this. We were like, oh, man. He's like, oh, I love Christmas. And he's telling me all these Christmassy things he does. And he's like, what do you love about Christmas? I was like, nothing. And he's like, what? And I'm not, I, maybe I'm exaggerating. I was like, are you crying? Like, no, he you're not exaggerating. So it hurts my heart. And I'm like, hey, look, man, I've been married 11 years. We've had one tree, like, like literally one Christmas we had a tree. The other 10 we had none. It was like this tall. And that was enough, right? And he's just like, does anybody else die a little bit inside? Who is this here? person? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to let Luke talk about Christmas 
because I know you want to. I, I keep telling Craig I am going to sneak into his house and set up a Christmas tree. Please don't. Just, Please don't. Yeah, look, all right. All right. I, look, let me just say something about we'll that. Set, because, yeah, we'll no, set something no, up. No, no, because you, like, you know what the number one cause of fire oh in December God. is? Okay? Another thing, too, you got those like little pine needles everywhere. You got a vacuum. And then you got to get rid okay, of Okay, so Christmas, Christmas is coming up. How do, how, do we, how do we step out? How do we, again, we're asking the question, how do we, how do we focus on the plumb line? Christmas is coming up. And even though Craig hates Christmas and we're going to pray for him and we'll have a time of prayer and repentance afterwards, Christmas is an opportunity for us to maybe step out of our comfort zone and step into uh, Pastor uh, uh, well, Marshall has these concentric circles where it's comfort zone, stretch zone, danger zone. And, and oftentimes, maybe you, you have lived in the same house for a long time and you've invited your neighbor to church and you've tried to be a good neighbor and take them cookies and they just, you know, they just give you the cold shoulder. Christmas is an opportunity for us to go once again and say, hey, um, my church is doing some, some, you know, weird different things throughout Advent. And if you want to know more about that come next week it's the first week of advent i'm excited um we're gonna do some creative elements all throughout the this uh the advent season i'm really excited about it and maybe you can go to your neighbor and you can get out of your comfort zone and say hey um i know i've talked to you about church before um I, i'd love to invite you again because there's something different that's going to be happening and maybe your neighbor is one of those people that says well if i came to church the building would burn down you know what i mean <laughs> you know maybe maybe they're that kind of neighbor and and the actually the focus for advent what we're looking at is good news for misfits and so so you can if they say that you can say well actually good news because this is this is a, a series we're looking at christmas how it is for people like you and if you want to we can take fire extinguishers in and just just in case just in case the church burns down but this is an opportunity for us to step out and say okay god i i want i want you to be my plumb line what does that look like how does it look like to put this in practice that's one way, right? Yeah, no, another way that we're, we're talking about stepping into that stretch zone are these cards. Uh, you may have gotten a card on your way in. If not, on your way out at the Welcome Center, there's these cards. And what we do, Molly explained them. You can buy uh, the car behind you in the drive-thru. Uh, another thing you can do, though, is you can just make cookies and put it on your neighbor's door. Now, I'm just going to be vulnerable with you. Uh, even this, this is stretch zone for me, too. So the neighbors right across the street from us, they just moved from, like, literally a mile where our old apartment used to be. Uh, like, I, a coffee shop I used to frequent was, like, right on the same block as them in North Hollywood. And I'm like, hmm. Like, if I give this card and I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor, that's going to seem pushy, right? I can have this inner narrative of, like, ah, I don't have to do this. I'll just, I'll be, I'll be gracious to a stranger, right? You know, I can just drive away in the drive through but they know where I live. They're going to see me throw my weed whacker across the yard because I hate yard work. Like, oh, man, stretch zone. All right? We think that growth happens in the stretch zone, and so we want to enter that stretch. And it's a stretch zone for all of us, right? Growth doesn't happen in that comfort zone. I really wish it did, but I'm learning it doesn't. All right? And the other way was the way that we talked about is stepping out in generosity, Right? I love what Corey said about our new Afghan neighbors is that not only did they just experience just economic and all this crazy stuff, that, that leaves a deep mark just on their souls, 
right? Just the trauma of going through that. How can we be people of peace? How can we be good neighbors? Well, we're going to start by just saying, hey, there's material needs. Let's meet those. And, and then also, there's going to be opportunities even for you to just befriend folks. You know, lots of, lots of these Afghan refugees are doctors and lawyers, and they are just stepping into a wildly new season of unknown. What if, what if there was a community that just said, hey, you have a spot here. You're welcome here. There's a place at the table for you, right? That's beautiful. Step in the stretch zone. Uh, for many of us, you're like, man, I'll do some of this stuff. I'll invite somebody. I'll take a card. But it's not going to do anything, right? It's not going to have an impact. My life has been greatly impact, impacted by the end of somebody's road. Uh, I don't even know this person's name. But a real person, a real human being, uh, had a huge impact on me that in many ways changed a lot of the trajectories of my life. It was after uh, college, but before seminary, Amy and I, uh, I was just starting to have questions and frustrations with the churches I was attending. I was like, man, there's a posture here of like, we've got the truth, and if you disagree with us, we're going to fight you. And it's like, cool, I just don't resonate with that. Uh, I don't know. What, what do I do? And that created a lot of doubts. So I'm wrestling with these doubts, and we found a church that created space for my doubts. We found a church that just welcomed me and was like, hey, like, yeah, I think God's big enough for this. Let's, let's walk with this together. I would have never heard of that church unless someone came to the end of their road. This church, uh, it had been a church of about 30 people that met in an elementary school basement, okay? But what happened was uh, a young man, he was a student at USC, he skateboarded around everywhere. He loved this church. He talked about this church all the time. He, he skated around, and then this kid tragically died, and he had a huge impact on all, like, his, his other classmates. And, and they were like, man, we really loved that guy. What, what did he care about? And people said he really loved his church. And the church just exploded with growth. And I found a safe place to learn and grow. Someone else's pain was not the end of the story. Someone else's pain. I mean, this person has a mom and a dad Right? And they don't, they don't know the impact that this man's life had. Your pain does not come because God is mad at you. Your pain comes because there are twists and turns in the road. But the hope that we have is that the ultimate pain, the death of God's Son, God the Son died in order that we can live. God can redeem pain. There's a lot of questions about Christianity, but if you start at the center and work your way out, you find a God who traveled the road first. Father, Father, I, the, road, the road is wild. Father, there's twists and turns. God, thank you that we're not alone. God, I pray that we would meet you, that we'd meet you and that we would travel, that we'd not make the road home, but we'd walk with you toward this renewed relationship that we have because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.